This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Howie Spangler lead vocalist and guitarist for Baltimore, Maryland beach rockers, Ballyhoo. Together, we dissect the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan-favorite song, Walk Away, taken from their 2011 album, Daydreams. Howie mentioned that he prefers being super prepared when entering a recording studio, but thus was not the case this time. He said that the basic shell and lyrical idea for the song were written, but he was missing a lot of words to tie it all together. So Howie enlisted the help of producer Greg Shields to fill in the blanks and complete the track. Sonically, the recording sounds awesome, but Howie and I both feel that the relatability of the lyrics are what resonates so well with people. The stereo guitars on this track are tight, yet loose in parts, which make them breathe and feel real. Oh, and I guess I impressed Howie with my guitar string changing skills a few years back, but I'll let him tell you all about that. So for all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Howie, how's it going? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. I feel like I... I kind of just saw you we were on the 311 cruise together and that was just an absolute blast had, had you guys ever done that before yeah we've done it that was uh number four for us oh my gosh i didn't know that that was that was number two for us we hadn't done it since 2013 and what a cool thing that those guys have, have cultivated most of the people that i talked to were return cruisers it's like a thing that they that they want to do and it's incredible to to the listeners out there to be able to get on a cruise ship and to play music. It, it's ridiculous. It's like the, those things that we never thought would come true, but they have. It's so true, man. 311 is a cult. Like 311 yeah. Nation, they're all their fans. Like the first time we played with those guys in 2008, like we were just accepted immediately. And there, that was great for me and my brother, especially because we're huge 311 fans. And, um, that, I mean, we've done, we've come back and done a lot of things with those guys and they have like what I think every band would love to have is that community that is just diehard and super engaged and just will, will do anything for those guys. And I, I think every band should strive for that. Absolutely. We feel the same way. We were accepted with open arms out there. And, you know, we're probably one of the, the faster tempo bands on the ship. You know, there's a lot of reggae and, 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 and maybe slower rock bands. And as you said, we were just open arms uh, accepted. And, and the fan mail we've gotten from that is, has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and those guys kind of have the, I think, the best of everything. They have, they, as you said, this cult following they still get played now on classic radio, but they kind of have their anonymity. You know, everyone besides Nick could probably go to the mall and not get recognized with with their kids, which is great. 
Yeah, it's that. That's got to be the best thing. Um, I, dude, you guys, you guys are always so much fun. And oh my god, it was so funny the the night that you guys played on the pool deck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were you were something that night. It was something in the air that night for you, and you. Oh my god, I was. I felt like whenever I go see my friends' bands play, I'm sort of like just open season on me because i guess i'm like the tallest dude in the room the blonde hair whatever and you can just see me from the stage wherever i stand and you oh my god this lady was talking to me and she was all up in my ear and you know it happens and i, I get it and i'm being cool but you just straight up yelled at her from the stage it was the best it was so fucking funny <laughs> yeah and yeah, i forgot Artists all about don't that. be bothered <laughs> i i basically said over the pa and it, it it came out wrong as most of the stuff out of my mouth does what i said was hey to the woman who's bothering howie out there and everyone's now looking at you there's a yeah. spotlight on you i'm just like and oh. i said i said you don't realize like we, we don't want to talk to you when we're watching another band like you're in my ear screaming stop talking to him and it was just part of the show and a joke but what she took that and other fans on the cruise i was at the casino later that night and they're like so so you don't like when we come up and say hi to you i'm like no i didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you you still got like a sore thumb you're what like six five six six, six? six yeah <laughs> Jeez. but uh speaking of longevity you guys you and your brother started this band in 1995, yeah. which you had to have just been kids. I know you're younger than me, so what inspired you guys to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to start a band? He, he got a drum set, you got a guitar one Christmas, and there you go? M Motley Crue, dude. And, <laughs> and Rat, and Poison, and Tesla, and Def Leppard, and all those bands in the 80s, man. Like My, my dad was in some bands um, when he was coming up, and I remember the, the last like band he was in i was probably like three four years old he had a drum kit in the basement there was some sound gear there that he had like some old console mixer or something um but i went to one or two of his practices with his buddies and they're sitting there smoking weed and drinking beers and stuff it was the 80s it was a different time and just being in that situation with those guys like kind of sitting back and watching them just sort of work it out like I said, drinking beers and stuff and just kind of having a good time. It was like, I don't know, that really stuck with me. And then my dad always had like a gear around drums, microphones, whatever, you know, we had a little Casio keyboards and always musical instruments around. He was, he was always putting that on us. And I just, I took to it. Um, I didn't learn how to play until I was a teenager, but this, you know, I'm like six, seven, eight years old. And he took us to see Rat and Poison in 87. Um, so I was six years old. My brother was four. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we saw him at the DC <laughs> Capitol Center and it was, it blew my mind, dude. It was like watching this band that I've seen on MTV, like only yeah. seen on MTV and heard on the radio and I got their tapes and stuff. And it was like insanity. It was like 10,000 people there or whatever that arena holds. And it felt like it. And I have the picture right here um, in front of me, sort of as an inspiration, but it's me and my brother and my dad. And we, where we were in our seats looking down at Rat, and we we're taking a picture. We had our Rat t-shirts on, and we're these little kids, and it just stuck with me, man. I was like, one day I'm going to be in a band, and I'm going to do this. This looks amazing. That's so cool. And and not to diminish your story in any way, but how many kids thought that, though? 
You know, how many right. kids wanted that? That I've met tons of them. You've met tons of musicians that just could never really make it happen. And how did it happen with you? Did you have just a better voice than your brother? Or that's how you became the singer? Or how'd that work out? By the time that I that I actually started playing guitar and like really thinking about starting a band, I was really into Green Day. Like, still am. I'm a huge, huge Green Day fan. Billy Joe Armstrong was like the guy for me, you know, I... I, and I was like, well, he plays guitar and he sings, so I'm going to get a Fender Stratocaster and I'm going to put on a tie and I'm going to do that and, and do my best Billy Joe Armstrong impression. And my brother was, uh, we had like some, like I had my fourth grade snare drum and like still, and we had like a, a Folgers can with like change <laughs> in it as like a hi-hat. Yeah. And we took one of my, one of my mom's pots and pans, like the, the top, the lid. And we hung it from a bird cage holder, had a hook like this. That from was like symbol. A, yeah, as, as our crash symbol. <laughs> Every time you hit it, it falls off. We had a we had a Sega Genesis, the box from the Sega Genesis as like our kick drum. And he would just hit it with the stick because we didn't have like a pedal yet. Yeah. It, oh man, it was, and we just started jamming in the basement. I saved up babysitting money when i was like 13 or 14 to, to buy my first amp it was a little crate it was like 80 bucks and then just from that point man it was just like all in and we practiced every single day uh for like eight months you guys were like the human version of the muppets yeah with your, uh, with your gear there uh, it was madness it was madness i was gonna ask you know how did you get from from motley crew to being a rock reggae island feel type of band in baltimore of all places and you kind of told me that it sounds like green day was the was the gap there and but how did you get into this this style and what drew you to that was it 311 was it sublime i remember hearing like bob marlin stuff on the radio here and there that was definitely by far the most popular reggae artist at the time and I, I didn't really get into it. And um, I remember like Adam Sandler made a reggae song that sounded like a Bob Marley song for that that one uh, piece yeah. of shit car. You know, and I remember <laughs> thinking that was fun and cool. Probably the only reggae song I liked at the time. But when when Goldfinger came out with uh, Here in Your Bedroom, that, that first record, dude, Here in Your Bedroom was all over the radio at that point in 96. And it was just like, whoa, what is this? Like, okay, so I can do like Green Day stuff, but I can also like mix in like Scott and, and reggae. And like, I liked how they packaged it. And I was like, I want to do it like that. And then like a few months later is when I found Sublime. I got, I went down the Sublime rabbit hole after that. Brad was already gone by this point, but I started finding like on the Sublime archive, like all, all the old like demos and like weird stuff that they, that are, have all been repackaged just like everything under the sun these days and the box sets and stuff. And I just fell in love with all that. I just love the rawness of it. I loved how Brad could just like go and like make up shit on the spot. I'm still not good at that, but I don't know. It just felt real. It wasn't forced, and and I was like, okay, I I love this type of shit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start making my own. So we were like a pop punk thing, like a rock thing, and then about a year into the band is when I found all that stuff and started mixing in the reggae and the ska and stuff. I always felt that the 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 reggae, the whole culture, is very 
very reminiscent of what like the Grateful Dead and Fish and some of those bands had. You you use the term cult following, but it's just it's massive. There's bands that are coming up within this scene, even in the last ten years. It's like, you know, on a Monday I I will have heard of Iration, and by Thursday they're playing Red Rocks. It's yeah. like what is going on? And it's the fans. It really is the fans that come out to these shows. They come out in droves, and it, it reminds me again a lot like uh, those bands, the Dead, that didn't have radio hits but could go fill arenas and, and stadiums i think that's part of the appeal is that they're not on the radio mm-hmm. i always wanted to be on the radio that was like my my goal as a kid to, to be on the radio be on mtv play snl like all the things you know all the big dreams um nowadays that stuff has changed but i think the appeal is that they're not on the radio and it's like it, it there's like this whole under the radar scene that's happening and you know you say you've heard iration now they're playing red rocks i mean that that obviously you you know this that like it takes you know, we see all that, but then you, you don't hear about the, the 10, 15 years before that, right? Um, but about all the work and, you know, this whole scene has been growing like crazy the last few years, especially, but I remember back in like the infancy of it, you know, this is like post sublime, like I'd say eight to 10 years after Brad dies, you start seeing like slightly stupid's coming to town. And, and I'm like, I remember calling HFS, uh, the radio station here that used to be this big alt, alt station. Yeah, here. in DC. Awesome station at the time. Uh, and calling, hey, can you play Slightly Stupid? They're playing at record theater. Like, who's that? What are you talking about? You know? And nowadays yeah. it's like stupid's like packing out amphitheaters every summer and Revolution, Stick Figure, Iration, you know? And at the time it was like Pepper, Expendables, I remember the Supervillains, you know, those bands and Slightly Stupid were kind of like the, the core. And then it just, after like 2009 2010 it just started you start seeing bands everywhere yeah and i wasn't singling out iration yeah they've they've put Mm -hmm. their time in. i'm just saying it it seems like to to someone that's not you know directly in the scene going to all the shows like you blink your eyes and and these bands have gotten huge to your point you know i look back when i first heard sublime and started like looking at the people that were into that culture 311 i thought it was huge back then it is 10 times as big as it was back then, maybe even more, you know, to, to your point. These bands have been out there working it. And I think it's kind of like the punk thing a little bit where like these, to, you know, these are my bands. They're not on the radio. This is still our scene, even though there's 10,000 people of us packed out in an amphitheater. Exactly. That's really cool. You guys released your your debut album, uh, 365 Day Weekend, I love that title, uh, in 2000. And then uh, your fourth album, Daydreams, uh, came out in 2011 on Pepper's label, Law Records. And we're going to talk about Walk Away today. And I've heard you guys play this uh, this song a ton. And, you know, as you know, Howie, when, when Chris and I, my partner are researching these, uh, for episodes, we, we, we do a number of things. We will ask the artists. And a lot of times we just know what the biggest song was. It was a huge radio hit or something. And, you know, we'll look at Spotify and different things. And this song just, it, it just kept popping out at us. It's just, it's a really big song for you guys. Do you remember writing Walk Away? Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, I was driving, I was driving around, I think it was like winter of 2010 or so. And I was just driving somewhere, maybe to band practice or something. And this line came in my head, as as you know, it's just lines randomly pop in your head. And you're like, oh, I need a voice memo. I need something, you know, (laughs) Um, and I'm driving. And it was, uh, girl, we just can't take much more. You know, we make each other miserable. It was that one line hit me. I was like, okay. There's something here. This is very, 
I don't know. The the line feels very, uh, it's like visceral. I feel like it, it, a lot of people can connect to that. And then obviously melodically, it stuck with me. It, it was it was one of those things that I didn't have to remember. It just, I just, it would just stay there, you know, yeah. in the earworm. I was like, okay, I need to build something off of that. And I think I started like messing around with like a chorus or something um, soon after that. I didn't have like the the song wasn't fully written when we went to record it. It was I want to say we did what would become the the sessions for Daydreams, uh, like March of 2011. We recorded the full album in like two weeks because we were touring. We were doing like 200 shows a year at that point. Yeah, weren't you on the the Warp Tour in 2011? 2012. 2012. Okay, we were on we were on an 11. So okay. you were on the next year. I remember you you being out there on the circuit during that time and that takes up all your summer j- just that tour alone and I knew you guys were doing tons of stuff outside of that. The record was recorded at Sound Lounge Studios in Orlando produced by Greg from Cashed Out, Greg Shields and Mike Steeb. Is that how you pronounce? Uh Steeby. Yeah. Mike Steeby. And when you presented the song in the studio, you said that it wasn't fully written. Had the guys in the band heard a demo? Did you have a demo of the song? We may have like run through it like just an arrangement uh, before that. But the, I remember that session, like like I said, it was like two weeks and we went in there with like half a record and like and a lot of like half songs, you know, and half ideas, pieces of some stuff. And so it felt like kind of a, like a dash. We had to like, all right, we only got two weeks and we're back on the road, you know, so we got to make a record here. Do you like doing that or do you like going in with everything set in stone? In a perfect world, everything's done <laughs> and you yeah. just, there's no pressure. Cause I, I lost my mind. If you, I lose my mind. Like every time we do that, every time we go to a session, I end up like freaking out and having a meltdown at some point, but, uh, we all do. <laughs> I want Yeah. Right. I want it to be perfect. You want it to be perfect. You want it to be right. Um, you try being in a van with Roger. I'll train yeah. you. <laughs> He'll say the like, same about me. <laughs> you guys are maniacs. I love you guys, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Greg was great. Like Mike was such a great engineer for for at that time. He was like 22 or something. He was a young dude at the time. And he was so fast. We used Logic. And that was the first time I'd use Logic to make a record. I thought, we're not using Pro Tools? Like, hold on a second. Yeah, what's you know, going on? What's going on here? We're not pro if we're not using Pro Tools. And dude, I mean, this dude was so fast and you wouldn't even know it. You know, it's just, um, and we've made several records with, with Logic since then. But he was so fast, which was great. So like, I like to work fast. When I'm, when I'm in the studio, I like to like, oh, I fucked up. And by the time I say I'm fucked up, we're ready to record again. I'm like, okay, let's go. I don't like yeah. it. Okay, let me reset. No, 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 we're going, um, which was great. And he was great for that. Greg was great because he's a great lyricist. That, that guy can like come up with stuff really quickly. And it's contextual and it's like, He's very good at puns. The guy's a punsman. We call him a punsman. To like almost to his detriment. Like and we're just like Jesus Christ, Greg. Like go away. Yeah. <laughs> Not everything has to be a pun. Exactly. We're, and, we're just going to breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Everything's a pun. <laughs> and but he's always the wheels are always turning. So I, yeah. I've I've co-written a lot of songs with him. So so Greg like co-wrote a lot of the lyrics with me on Walk Away. Um, I think I had the chorus locked. And then it was the verses that I needed help telling the story because I really wanted to tell a story about a couple that just, they realized that they just weren't right for each other. And they actually, you know, and they had their moments, like the whole, the lyric about, you know, you got your brass knuckles, I got a machete. It's it's cartoony in my head, but it, it was also like metaphorical, like we're just going at each other. We're, we're trying to kill each other here. And this, 
and and it comes from the idea of of wanting a relationship to end on a good note when you know like a bad relationship to end on a good note which is like almost impossible but it's a fantasy of like hey this isn't working for either one of us let's just get out of this and not murder each other and just <laughs> you know you go do your thing i'll go do mine and that's it there's no no hard feelings that, that's the kind of the vibe well, yeah, and, and that's very difficult, as you said, when it, when things are tumultuous and you're trying to go about it in a civil way. It, yeah. it rarely it rarely can happen because uh, once the human emotion gets in the way, you're 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 doomed. The song's three minutes and twenty one seconds. I want to jump into this bad boy, Howie. Uh, it starts with a Florin Racktom hit, takes us into eight bars of drums, bass, and this is interesting. They're essentially stereo guitars, but they're clean and they're panned right and left. That's two performances I'm hearing, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I always do that. That's awesome. I've never done that. We've always taken one and kind of tossed the guitar, one guitar off to the left, and that's it. Mostly because, you know, we we have one guitar player, and that was always the thinking. But I love the play, and we're going to get into that, the interplay between the right and the left guitar. Sometimes they're locked, and sometimes they're kind of moving. And, yes. and I love that. You find that in a lot of rock and roll. Keith Richards, the Stones had that, Aerosmith had that, Guns N' Roses, where the, the, the guitar pan right and pan left. They're, they're locked sometimes, but they're, but they're moving and doing different things. I absolutely love that. We also get uh, an organ here at the top, and uh, this is the verse progression that leads us into verse one. Just like last week You got your brass knuckles And I got a machete Not too long ago We used to cuddle in our sleep Somehow this shit got turned around And now the words got deep So here we are again In fisticuffs Just like last week You got your brass knuckles And I got a machete Not too long ago We used to cuddle in our sleep Somehow this shit got turned around and now the words cut deep. And it's so funny. I, I've had a lot of people on here, they, they start giggling when I'm, I read their lyrics to them because they've never heard them read at them. And I've only really like, got absorbed into this the past couple of days, really listening intently. And this almost made me crack up this third line reading it just now because the way you sing it, it doesn't come across as <laughs> what it's saying here. But what else is going on besides the obvious? Yeah, um, here we are again in fisticuffs, like last, just like last week. So it's like, yeah, all right. Well, here we are. We're fighting again, you know. And then uh, you got your brass knuckles. I got my machete. It's like, yeah, we're trying to go at each other. We're trying to take each other's heads off, you know, trying to hurt each other. And it's just a, it's clearly a toxic relationship. And I think I was going for like, we don't want to do this to each other, you know. We don't, we don't want to be bad people to each other, but we're here we are for whatever reason we clash and yeah and then it's like what uh we used to cuddle in our sleep now the words cut deep it's like we have our moments you know it's like oh these you know, we're, we're we're lovey we're sweet you know and then it's like now we're saying awful things to each other it just i was in a pretty toxic relationship uh in the you know late 90s early 2000s about four years uh, we <laughs> About three weeks in, we, sh we should have broken up, you know, and we stayed mm -hmm. another four years and it was tough. And, and when you're that young, you know, everything matters. Everything is so huge. And you, you don't realize that, like 
you're going to meet so many people throughout your life. And we were, we were kids, you know, it's, we're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. It's like, you just don't realize how this doesn't matter. Like the, the, everything you do, it adds up to who you are at this moment, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I went, went through that. And maybe she would say the same. I don't know. It's that time and perspective. And I've had people tell me this when I'm going through a breakup or something, you know, in my life that, that went sideways and they'll say, Hey man, it's just going to take a second, you know? And when you're in the storm, that's the last thing you want to hear. But when you reflect on it years later, it, you know, there's things that were just, I thought it was the worst thing ever in my life. And I look back now and it doesn't even hurt. It's not like there's anything there anymore, but at the time, and the lyrics here reflect that, you know, you, when you're going through that breakup, as you said a minute ago, you, you want it to be civil and cordial, but how can it be? Because one moment your head's saying, we used to cuddle in our sleep, but wait, but, but now I have all these words you said to me and I said to you that's over here. So you're fighting yourself. Yeah. It's like, uh, I wanted to present the story in a way as like where it's not one sided, like, you know, uh, you're causing all this problems and all this pain. It's like, I'm part of the problem too. You know, I'm, I'm acknowledging that, you know, and, and like with, with my, my wife and I, like we, we've been together for a long time. And like in the beginning it was, we had some rough spots, you know? So this song isn't based on just like one, that one relationship. It's sort of a, just a lot of relationships that I've had and relationships that other people have had, you know, we all go through the same things. And, you know, so I was just trying to convey that, like, how, how do I set up a situation that, that explains, you know, like a toxic relationship and just those, those words, especially that my favorite line is the one about the brass knuckles and the machete. I just think that's so funny and uh, cartoony, <laughs> but it's like real, like you get it, you know? Do you recall if you wrote that or was that something that Greg came up with? That was definitely me. I think I did the full first verse or maybe most of it, but that line was absolutely me. I, I have a, like a sick humor, like a dark humor. A machete's a pretty rough, uh, r- rough tool. <laughs> <laughs> Brass knuckles are too, but a machete's going to take off limbs. You got to sell it, man. You got to sell it. Yeah, you got you got the, the, the better uh, end of the bargain there. <laughs> uh, pre, pre-chorus one comes right off verse one. Uh, pretty much same instrumentation here. Those clean stereo guitars, drums, bass, and organ are in here. All the love letters stuffed into a Molotov cocktail. We get our first harmonies in the song here. And how did that come about? Were you in the studio saying, hey, this is because, again, this song wasn't uh, completely finished. So you're kind of coming up with parts still. Uh, did Greg say, hey, we should throw some harmonies here? Is that something you had in your head? You know, it was probably I'm, I'm sure Greg thought of it as well. I, I've always had this like thing for like I try to go on vibe. Like, how does it feel like, OK, now we need to lift this, you know, and the pre-chorus is sort of like the the lift and sort of like when you're winding up and the chorus is supposed to be like boom, you know, you're building the tension a little bit. Is that you singing the harmony here? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I sing all the harmonies. I've always done that. We tried to have Scott do it one time on like the second record and, and it, it just didn't, it didn't work. Like, I like how my voice goes together, you know, and I've never made any like, well, I did the backups. I don't, I just want it to s- sound clean and and, and mm-hmm. exact. Like I want it to match with exactly what I'm doing. You know, that, that's really all it was. I sing a lot of harmonies. Roger sings a lot of harmonies to himself. Sometimes your voice just sounds better with itself for certain parts. And there's other stuff, obviously, that, that, that he sings with me. But I found that out. I can really harmonize well with myself. And sometimes it just locks up better. You've got a great range, you know, like you, and you can hit that higher stuff too. 
you know, and like, and like Rogers, like, obviously he's, he's way up here. You know, I, I could right. never sing the, uh, the, the science of selling yourself short. I could never sing that song. Like, I'd have to like <laughs> transpose it way down, you know, <laughs> me too. <laughs> there was one time Roger lost his voice and Jr. has a high voice. He had to, thank God he's in the band. We wouldn't have been able to play that song. We oh, just wow. couldn't do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's a bummer. <laughs> Have Good to sing it an octave down, but the lyric here is all the love letters stuffed into a Molotov cocktail. Yes, we're selling it. Yeah, we're selling it. This is punk rock, dude. I love that line. All the love letters stuffed into a Molotov cocktail. Was that something that uh, was done in the studio? You remember that lyric, or was that there from the initial idea? Yeah, that that was probably as I started to work on the song, flesh it out. Um, that was probably there when we went in. Uh, an, another sort of creative artsy dark humor thing um i just love that visual imagery and i remember when the single came out I designed the art for it and it was you know a molotov cocktail with a love letter stuffed in it with a little heart yeah on it. um it was all on fire i love the imagery so like yeah i'm just trying to create some cool imagery there for the for the listener all the love letters stuff to a molotov cocktail it's like you it's like you're using your words against each other and you know just yeah it's madness Hey everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Howie Spangler coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. And now back to the show. Chorus one comes in at the 36 second mark. We're already at the chorus. There's this really cool snare fill that you uh, say sometimes it's easier. The first lyric over that snare fill and the delivery here, you crammed in a lot of words in this chorus part here. It's really interesting. It's almost got a rapping quality to it a little bit. better 
Sometimes it's easier to walk away. Call it what it is. This is hopeless. Well, can't you see it, girl, that life goes on? We've seen better days, and you know this. And we get a uh, backing vocal on the first line after walk away. It's a uh, pan left, right, and center. There's a backing vocal with harmonies on walk away. And also on the line, life goes on. We get panned left and right and kind of center, some backing vocals there. A 16th note tambourine joins the party here in the chorus, and we get harmonies on the line, this is hopeless, and the last line, and you know this. And if you're wondering why I I haven't went any further with what you're probably still considering the chorus, I think the next part is a post-chorus, Howie. Thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. I've always thought of it as a, as a chorus, but if, if, if you were going to break it down, I would absolutely say it feels like a, because you're sort of like, it feels like you're summing it all up. It does. I love a post-chorus that is done right and feels right. This one is done right and feels right. And that's why I said it. The chord progression changes. It takes you somewhere else, but you're still in the world. And it recaps the lyric at the end, letting go of all this. We'll get to that part in a second. But as far as the chorus comes here, again, that tambourine comes in. This isn't the fastest song. It's kind of mid-tempo. That 16th note, it makes it feel like there's urgency there and it's faster. I love that. I love... uh adding things like that, like tempo. I, I put tempo on like everything these days. It lifts, you know? I, I write a lot of songs that are like very simple progressions. There's like two, maybe three parts in the whole song, front to back. And so you have to create some dynamic where there otherwise wouldn't be. And I think when you do things like add a tempo halfway through or uh, a harmony or add another harmony or something, or, something or a keyboard, something different. It helps lift the song and keep it from getting stagnant and boring. We have songs that are one progression all the way through, like front to back, like the same thing over and over. You just add things, you drop things out, you add things in like a different parts and it just makes it feel more dynamic. So I love doing that. You know who's great at that, that that band Turnstile? Turnstile's sick. They'll play the same three chords for three minutes, but they'll have little nuances coming in and out so it doesn't feel like the same thing. It's it's really it's really genius, and I've always loved that. I feel like some sometimes less is more. Speaking of, you know, Ballyhoo, you guys have some songs that, you know, I won't go as far as to say prog rock or anything, but they have some some jam parts and some, you know, a little deeper. This song is pretty straightforward, but I think it's the lyrics here is what's touched your fans and, and resonated and why this song is one of your most popular tracks. I think so too. I, and it's funny, man. You just, you never know. I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but like, you just never know that when you're in the studio and you're working it out, like you don't realize you're recording like your biggest song. I, yeah. I just, I just never thought. And I remember thinking like, why this one? Like, I feel like I have better songs. I feel like I have better, like, it's a good song in in my opinion. I think it's a good song for sure. I understand the appeal of it, but I'm like, we have such better songs, I think. And it's just, for whatever reason, man, people just get hooked. Yeah. And and, and how many times have you recorded a song and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to play this live. And it just falls flat. <laughs> and there's a and there's another song that you're you're not that stoked about, but you go play it and the place goes berserk. And you're like, why? We, we still play songs like that. I'm like, why are they going nuts right now? This isn't one of our best songs. Uh, and, and you'll take it, you know? But, yeah. But <laughs> All day long. <laughs> yeah, man. But it's like... <laughs> 
yeah, I, you just feel like shit, you know. <laughs> and and I'm I'm glad you feel the same way about this song. I lo- I I think the song's awesome. I love this song. I've heard you guys play it a ton, but uh, musically, this is a, a little more simple than some of the other Ballyhoo stuff. Post chorus one comes right on the heels of chorus one. Girl, we just can't take much more. You know we make each other miserable. Let's just call it. Girl, we just can't take much more. You know we make each other miserable. Let's just call it what it is, letting go of all of this. So yeah, at that point we're we're changing the uh the way that I'm delivering, you know, because before it's like easier to walk away. And I wanted to do like that walk away part. Like I I I was like, this needs to be I want it to be like a barbershop sound. Walk yes. away, you know. And so I wanted the other guy. I think the other guy sang that. I didn't sing that part. The other guys jumped on like as a gang vocal. That didn't sound like you. Yeah. Yeah. It was the other guys in a gang vocal style, just huddled around the mic. And I was like, just and you know. My guys like aren't aren't the best singers, you know. Like they they're great at what they do, but singing's not their their thing, you know. But I just I was like, you know, so I'm like, again, do it again, do it again, you know. Just wanted it to really fit, but also sound raw and and like there's no there's no tuning or anything. It's just a raw kind of feel. I was trying to go for this barbershop thing, so um, so we go from that into the girl. We just can't take. To me, it was like it's really like lifting the song now. Like we're we're coming up, we're building some more tension for the end and then you deliver that last line let's just call it what it is yeah you know, letting go of all this and let's just call it what it is I actually borrowed from a, a, an incubus song uh, i love brandon boyd his voice is insane he's awesome let's just My voice is like a combination of Brandon Boyd and Brad Knoll. I tried to mix those two together and just singing, like make yourself front to back, like in the car, like blasting, just trying to match every note. <laughs> and um, so I, that one line came from, from a song on uh, Light Grenades, I think. It was, Let's just call it what it is. It's like, I like that. And it was, it just fit the song so well. It was like, we need to call this what it is. This is insanity. This is toxic. And let's, let's just just part ways amicably. Well, you said a ton of things that I was going to mention here. You already said them for me. Thank you. This part has, I wrote, optimistic tension. (laughs) Optimistic in the music, not so much the lyric, but it's uplifting here, but there is that tension on the first two lines. And again, we have harmonies on all five lines here. On the first two lines, the bass guitar is playing this driving eighth notes. Doom, 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 doom. And there's something about that. It, it, kind of takes over for me what the tambourine was doing in the first half of, of what we're calling the calling the chorus love the bass there there's great descending chord pattern here as well and some really great note choices on the harmonies i love the harmonies here uh and then at the very end we get a cool little snare fill that takes us right back in to verse two but that bass guitar doom 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 on those first two lines there that is i guess the word again i'll use it tension it's it's building there 
it's building, it's driving forward, um, which I I love doing that. JR was a JR's a great musician. He's a great bass player for the band at the time. He was in the band for about ten years. Yeah, JR Gregory played bass on this, and of course you had Nick in the band since twenty fourteen, who's a ripper as well. Yeah. So you guys you, you guys lucked out in the bass department. Yeah, yeah. And Nick's like super handsome and just very <laughs> very photogenic, and <laughs> the girls love him. Uh, so that helps sell records, I guess. Um, but uh, got to get him some singing lessons. He needs to be the front man. We'll yeah, no, dude, you should be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> make some money but something i hadn't mentioned here the bass tone's ripping on this it yeah. sounds great and and the note choices that uh the jr played on here is, is is fantastic i think how how involved are you in that because you're a producer okay so now you're in working with other guys you've hand the producer's chair over to greg and to mike here uh how involved are you with that are you getting into that or you was he so good he did his own parts and you kind of let him be I'm always like very much involved and I think some of the guys like hate it, you know, uh, yeah. to, at some point, but, uh, I just, I have a vision for the song, you know, now that, that part specifically, I can't exactly remember if that was me or just JR doing that. It might've been a thing, Donald, my brother, the drummer, he, he likes to work with the bass player on certain parts of the song. So they're in the pocket together and sometimes they, they will come up with something together that fits, you know, and it's, it's, it might've been a point where it was like, JR might've thought, you know, let's, let's do something like, let's kind of build it up here. That, that may have been his thing, or maybe Donald changed the, uh, his pattern at that point And JR was playing to him. Um, cause that, that happens a lot. So yeah, I don't exactly remember that, that part, but, uh, probably one of those two. Maybe three times in our career, I've had to like interject with Roger. He just does his thing. You know, he knows what the song needs. Um, there was a, something on our last record where he turned around at some point he was tracking bass it's a, it's a song i wrote and he's like i just don't know what to play here man what, what do you want me to do yeah i'm like you're kidding me right i'm gonna all of a sudden for 30 years tell you how to play the bass but i'll tell you it, it's a luxury to have someone in the band like that it really is it, t- it takes the pressure off because i'm like you i like to micromanage everything and you know that doesn't always work out so well no no it doesn't you don't want bad vibes in the studio you know it's like <laughs> it's, it's like the worst thing we're uh, trying to track a reggae record here guys come on come on don't be mad Come on. Don't, don't be angry. I think we we we've always been like a we're, we've always been like a rock band first. Um I always yeah. say that we're not like a reggae band, you know. And we approach all of this, you know. You can call it reggae rock. I've been I've been like I I call it beach rock, like Maryland beach rock. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to own that shit. But all my guys are metalheads, you know. And JR is very eclectic with his stuff, you know. If you're talking about making this record, he was in the band, so uh, he was very eclectic with his music taste and stuff. And um, we always come from like a more rock, like Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, you guys are more of a rock band to me for sure. You yeah. Know, you got the, as you're calling the beach island vibes, but but yeah, it's there, there's it's definitely definitely rock based. Yeah, 100%. Post-chorus one, mentioned a moment ago, a cool little snare fill takes us right into verse two. I remember asking all around to get your name. And I was shocked to find out that you were doing the same but now it seems that those old days have come and gone away But I would never call this a mistake I remember asking all around to get your name And I was shocked to find out that you were doing the same Now it seems as those old days have come and gone away but I would never call this a mistake. The clean guitars here, left and right, are more playful than verse one. There's not, not not as regimented and locked with each other here. I love that. It's funny because 
I feel like it's probably a result of me not practicing enough, like the song. So <laughs> there's certain things that like, when I'm doing like the skanks, um, we call them the skanks here in the biz. Like there's certain accents sometimes that I'll do. There's ways to, I don't know. I like to keep them very tight. Like, especially these days, I think he's very tight, short, and like chirpy. Just like, like, like if you listen to old, like Bob Marley stuff, there's barely notes coming through. It's just, he's making the chord formations, but he's like just flicking. And, you know, and I, I don't know if he goes up or, it, I guess it depends on how fast the song is. But for me, when I'm doing reggae, it's like, usually it's like downstrokes, but on, on beat two and four. And I'll hit it and I'll, my fingers come off the fretboard a little bit, mm -hmm. but still muting them, you know? And so it's like real quick and short and just click, click, click. And you're still doing the chords, but, and you can hear remnants of the notes, right? But like, or the chords, but you're not really getting that full chord. And I think that happens to a lot of like these little reggae bands that pop up around the country. Like they're playing in a way that kind of sounds, to me, it sounds a little cheesy when you're like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. And it's like you you're not getting it. Like you're not, you're not, it's it's so vanilla, you know? It's like yeah. you really want to try to lock it in. And then there's like there's like dent, dent, but dent, 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 like stuff like that. So that's what I'm saying. When like I'll do run one one pass on the left like this, and then I'll do the the second pass on the right, and I won't hit the accents at the same time. Sometimes there'll be right before it or after it or something. And so you get this sort of weird stereo thing that happens, but it ends up being pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It doesn't, as, to coin your term, it isn't as vanilla. It isn't as just kind of there. It makes your ear kind of fight for what you're listening to, but in a cool context. I, I think it's awesome. And I love, again, how they open up here on verse two. Verse two goes right into pre-chorus two. Same instrumentation, drums, bass, stereo guitars, organ. Uh, we get harmonies on both of these lines, all the love letters stuffed into a Molotov cocktail. Into chorus two. too same placement again all the backing vocals all the lyrics all the instrumentation and i did at this point in the song notice howie that the lyrics haven't changed in the chorus there's a lot here especially with the post chorus okay it's not repeating the same refrain over and over again was there any thought of changing up a line here or there or was there enough information here you're thinking yeah i just felt like uh, there's that famous uh dave grohl quote it's like how do you write a song Chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, chorus, pre-chorus, chorus, you know, it's like chorus, you know? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like, it is fun to do, you know, maybe change one line on the last chorus, maybe. Like, let's say you just want to sum it up a little bit differently, saying the same thing, but sum it up a little bit differently. Or maybe that maybe you're telling a story that needs to be resolved or something. And so the last chorus, you have a little play to resolve it with some different lyrics or something to complete your story, but it's just, you're just hammered at home at this point. 
And I'd say, well, the chorus happens three times in the song. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, that's typical Howie songwriting style, you know, just verse, pre-chorus, maybe, and then chorus, sometimes post-chorus, and then repeat, you know? Well, and I think it worked out for you here. This is one of your most popular tracks and, you know, especially as a younger songwriter, you, you kind of want to be highbrow and, and like, hey, I, I need to be more of a musician or an artist here. I'm going to change this last line. And I tell you, 20 years later, I'll look out in the front row and there's someone singing the first chorus still. They don't pick up on the last line. I'm going, oh, how'd that work out for you there, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I'm an artist. I'm an yeah. artist. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to change this one lineup and everyone's going to love it. Not the guy right there. He didn't, he didn't pick up on that line. And that's really important. I think a lot of times... Uh, and I ask that a lot on this uh, podcast. I ask a lot of a lot of guests. I'll say, "Hey, you know, why did you change it up here, or why didn't you change it up?" And you, you get a number of answers right out of post-chorus two, which same harmonies on all five lines here, same lyrics. Uh, we're back to the chorus chord progression for the guitar solo. It's sixteen bars. It's like an overdriven guitar right up the middle. Solo sounds to me, and, and not like it was just thrown together. I'm not saying it like that, or, or it, 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 it's not memorable, but it sounds like it was just ripped, like right then. It was just kind of like, let's just go for it. Is, that's the vibe I'm getting from it. Was this solo set in stone, or how, how did it happen? So I, I write a lot of my solos. Like This is why we, we hired a second guitar player, like a shredder, because I'm just not... There's things that I would love to do, but I could never do it. My solos are always like, they're like vocal lines that are just on a guitar, you know, mm -hmm. for the most part. And then, you know, do some cool bending here. So maybe some, you know, stuff like that here yeah. and there. But this one was just, I felt the song drives forward and I wanted the solo to do, to do the same and just be, you know, simple and, and melodic. I probably, probably did two or three passes and we just picked the best one. I like it because it's not flashy. It's not like, here's the solo, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. It's a featured part. The band's just jamming. And sometimes that's refreshing and, and it fits the song. I feel it, it's perfect for this track. Yeah, thank you, yeah. I've never been great at soloing or, you know, I've always focused more on playing rhythm and I would do like the solos where I felt like it was needed. And it was like, as I said, it was always like melodic and in that way and vocally. This felt great for that part. And you know, when we play it live, it's like we, we're we're getting sort it's the middle end of the song. So we're like, we're playing it live. And it's like at that point, I'm like, make some fucking noise ah, or whatever. And and right yeah. up the front of the stage, I put my guitar on some girl's face and just like doing this thing. It's not the best solo, but they're eating it up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And and again, I think that this chorus progression is awesome. You could have done a million things here. You could have had a keyboard solo. You could have had whatever, but I don't think this part was like flashy, look at me, look at me. It just had to fit the song. And, and the band just feel like they're kind of jamming during this part. I like it. Goes right into pre-chorus three, all the love letters stuffed into a Molotov cocktail. We get that lyric again. I think we had to get that lyric again. All the love letters we do this thing live now where it's like 
it, it's really broken down and like there's like nothing happening except for like guitars and and a vocal and it's just very tender you ready to me it's like it's you're breaking up the the madness um, in this storm here and you're, you're kind of coming back to like this soft tender part and just sort of reminding ourselves you know like yeah i mean this is this is why we're this is why we're breaking up like you know and then you come in boom 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 you know to the last chorus so you break down three uh, pre-chorus three when you're doing it live you kind of break it down just a guitar that's interesting because coming out of this solo listening to the track it's like if there was any place in my mind that the song could have had a breakdown it'd be right here and it's it's funny that you're doing that live that's cool yeah yeah drums drums drop out everybody like yeah bass player stops and sort of we're throwing our hands the other guys are throwing the hands up i'm just covering the vocal and guitar and you hear people singing it back to you and it's fucking amazing and you know the feeling that is so cool well on the last line here stuffed into a molotov cocktail you let out a o uh vocal uh that takes us right into chorus three and post chorus three the song on the last line you swing the melody and the harmony on all of all of this there's a little swing there it's different i love how that little thing wraps up the song for me and then the whole band it's like then the song just abruptly ends it's just over was yeah was there talk about doing a fade out here or was it longer or extended or was that always how the song was i love how it ends and that's how it was we we always it was just we, we would jam it before we tracked it yeah it's just uh just dun 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 and we're done i love how it ends because and i probably wouldn't have maybe even thought of this had you not ended it like this but if the song would have faded out or gone on and on it feels abrupt right now, which that's sometimes a relationship that has an abrupt ending. Like you just run into a wall and that's the end of it. And that's mm -hmm. the, that's the feeling that I get from this ending. I, I think it's great. Thanks. Yeah. I, I imagine a fade out never crossed my mind for this song. It was like, I, we don't really do fade outs anyway, but to, and to me, like letting it get, you know, the other option would be, you know, dun, 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 and like letting the guitars ring out and that, you know, fade those. But to me, it's like, We've already said what we need to say, and we don't need to drag this out any further. Much like a relationship, you know, so it's just boom, uh, abrupt and done, and we're on to the next one, you know? Right on. Well, we kind of talked about it a little bit ago, but but again, now that we comb through the whole thing and, and we're where we're at right now, why do you think this one? with the fans what is it when you look out and you just it's a noticeably different vibe than than some of your other stuff you're playing it people are going berserk they're they're hanging on to every lyric and i think it's the lyrics i think that that people can relate uh to to the frustration that's going on here with the words uh, yeah i agree with you I, I think my dynamic my my songwriting approach has always been dark material dark content with like 
uppity music, like happy music. And it just, that dynamic always seems to work. And this is one of those moments, like, first off, I think we played the song too fast. I feel like, like we, we played everything way too fast up until our girls record. Like we actually started getting our tempos right, but everything daydreams (laughs) and back is played way too fast. Yeah. It's funny when you say those things, you go, or was it because it's a big song? So should, why should it have changed? Why should it be different? I don't know, man. I think, yeah, the lyrics really connect with people. I think the melody is really accessible and, and sticks to people's head, especially the the second, the what you call the post-chorus, you know, go, yeah. we just get climbing up there. It's got this cool major, I don't know, if it, I don't know what that is, a third thing happening. Mm-hmm. The chorus is great, but the post-chorus just, it just wraps up everything. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of emotions going there. There's that tension with the bass that happens. There's the lyrical uh, thing that you're doing, what, what you're saying here lyric-wise. But the music's still uplifting. So it's going with what you're saying. There's this depressing undertone, but but it's still, you're, you're still at the party. I think there's like a feeling of people have been there. So many people have been there. They understand what I'm saying. It, it relates to their, it's pulling on their heartstrings. But there's also sort of a happy ending to it. It's like, it's yes. a sad song, really. I've had people ask me to play this at weddings, which is odd. Um, yeah. <laughs> you trying to doom us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it ends kind of happily because it's like you're both people in the song are realizing, yes, you're right. It's not one person going, we need to break up. Oh no, stay with me. It's, it's both people going, yeah, this is, yeah, we're, let's be adults. Let's like, let's realize that this isn't working and let's, let's move on and, and not put ourselves through all this heart wrenching shit. Yeah. Um, I think people like connect with that. Yeah. Cause all, all walking away can do is lead to new beginnings. Exactly. Exactly. I think what really made it, a thing was uh, Ali uh, Ali Hagendorf, who's like a star now. Yeah, Ali's over at Spotify. Yeah, she's killing it. True fan of music there. She's like the Matt Pinfield of of this age, you know. She really is. Yeah. Yeah, kills it. Um, she was working over there making playlists. Um, I think she probably still does like rock this or something. But she was doing like the the beach playlists, like all the feel good stuff, soak up the sun, beach vibes. And in 2016, I remember we were on Warp Tour and we got added, Walk Away got added to, I think, Soak Up the Sun, which is like a huge, it's, it's, it's even bigger now, but it was a huge playlist back then for like chill stuff or beachy stuff. Yeah. And uh, we got put on there and it just really skyrocketed. And it was like another, you know, it's like a form of, it's like today's radio, you know, where you're getting introduced to new people. You know, you're just listening to a playlist at a party and the song comes on, you go, oh, what's that? And pe- all of a sudden yeah. people are adding it to their own playlist, they're, they're streaming it. And that's really what helped is the exposure from that playlist. And it just makes me think like, man, like there's so many great songs out there from other artists that if they could only get that exposure, get added to those playlists that, that can really make a difference for you. And I know there's a lot of people that complain about, you know, Spotify and, you know, they're not paying enough and this and that, but it's like, you got to just learn how to use the, use the platforms, man. And like, 
don't be so focused on the money and the, and the numbers. Just keep making stuff. When you grow your catalog, it really does start to make a difference. I promise. You know? Yeah. Well, and 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 the numbers they they translate into different ways. They might not be from a streaming or a publishing check, but you'll see more people in the building listening to your band singing "Walk Away" and buying your T-shirts. Hopefully, and that's that's what it's all about. That's what it's about. Yeah. You 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 nailed it. Like I tell artists that I have my own podcast and shit, and I tell people this stuff, and it's like your music. You know, it's it's an expensive business card, really. It's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's like you're you're using your music to to get people to come to the shows and build community and and you know get them to buy T-shirts and you know, things like that. You have to build community now. It's not about being on the radio anymore and being some huge, big huge rock star. It's about like connecting with the community and building that. Things are so flat now and saturated. Everyone can be on Spotify and YouTube and everything. So you've got a couple, you've got, you know, but Beyonce, you're talking 20 years, you know, 25 years yeah. in her career. You're not going to have like that anymore as as much. You, you may have one or two like huge stars, but like it's not going to be like it used to be. And so you have to just be happy creating your own community and digging out your own spot in this music industry and building that and don't worry about the other band that's selling 20,000 tickets and you're selling a, a hundred, you know, just build. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, how I appreciate you, you sitting in and taking time out of your day and what's going on with the band. What do you, what do you guys got coming up? First off, thanks for having me. Fucking love you. Um, love you too. And dude, you're, you guys are so like lesson. Jake is awesome. And I remember we did a, an acoustic tour and you were, it was like watching a stand-up comedy act and it was so awesome. It was it was like, nobody can do that shit like you can do it. I just love that. And Thank I you. want to tell all your listeners out there, fastest restringer of guitars ever right here that I'm talking to. <laughs> you should feel honored. Oh, yeah, I, I, I strung your acoustic guitar. That's you, right. You saw me doing it. I, had to like, I was all sick. I remember I got all sick. This is right before COVID was a thing, right? And I, we like, yeah, oh, we shit. were in Vegas. We were in Vegas. And I'm like, you saw me stringing up my guitar. Like, hey, man, let me show you something. I'm like, you're like, get the fuck out of the way. And like, you grab the thing and you're like, all right. You strung the entire guitar probably in like 60 seconds. <laughs> it, I, I forgot about that. Dude, I've, I've never, like, I always thought I was fast. I was, I was like pretty good at string guitars, you know? But like you came in and you showed me this little thing and it's like, Oh my God. Like it was the fastest I've ever strung guitar or I've seen I, guitar Well, I, 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 I got to give credit where credit's due. I learned that from Roger. Roger's the master. Uh -huh. So he, he taught me, he taught me anything I know, uh, guitar tech wise. So <laughs> kudos to, kudos to Roger. But yeah, I remember that night you were sicker than a dog and that was January, late January of 2020. So it was right before the whole COVID thing. We were on a acoustic tour, Howie and I with, uh, Jason DeVore from Authority Zero and a couple other guys. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, man. It was, it was, uh, it would have been a lot more fun if it wasn't sick. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, did I have, did I have COVID? Like nobody else got sick as far as I know, but we were in a van <laughs> yeah. together, like very close quarters, you know? <laughs> yeah. There was like eight of us driving in that thing. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. All right. We, the Ballyhoo's got, we got a new record coming out August 25th. It's called Shell Shock. Um, 14 tracks. We've been dropping singles over the last five months or so. Drunk Texter just came out with our friend Hyrie. She did a, a verse and sang some of the chorus with me and uh, it's been been a lot of fun. I can't, I can't wait for people to hear it. Awesome, man. Well, hey, again, thank you a million times. Thanks for sitting in. It's great to see you as usual. Dude, great to see you, man. Thanks so much for having me. Your podcast is awesome. I, I, I've I listened to it a bit here and there, like the Huey Lewis one a while back, I think last year, the year before I caught that. Thank you. And then like uh, just the, the one with uh, Feldman a couple weeks ago was so good. So it's 
Definitely, you're doing great things here, man. Thank you for doing Thanks. this. Thanks. Well, hey, speaking of, uh, before we go, uh, plug your podcast. What What is it? Oh, it's called Tales from the Green Room. And it's just, uh, I just base it around my experience in the music industry, about, you know, just the last 28 years. What year is it now? 28 years of being in a band. And we've seen like every form of the record industry and touring. Yeah. And just, so I, I try to give advice and just tell my stories and make people learn stuff if if anything entertain them very cool all right man thanks a lot dude The song you're hearing right now is Drunk Texter from Ballyhoo's new album, Shell Shock, which comes out on August 25th, 2023. Howie, if you're still listening, this song is awesome, man. Everybody else, hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speaker's Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to Band You Might Not Know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is McCrackens, a four-piece punk rock band from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. These guys have been rocking since 1994. In fact, Less Than Jake was on several comps with them back in the day. Their new album is called Wake the Fun Up. Here's a snippet of their song, Up to Eleven. Chris and Chris. Chris, I love when Chris makes a podcast exposes me to a new favorite band. Somehow, even though they've been a band for close to 30 years, 
Ballyhoo slipped under my radar, and it wasn't until like the past year or two that I discovered them. And now I think they're so freaking good. This song is so good. They're great. They're they're great dudes. Great band. I'm not taking anything away from their former bass player uh, who played on this track, Walk Away, or any other previous members, but the band they got now is slamming. We just did that 311 cruise with them, and they're they're better than they've ever been. Awesome band. That's awesome. I look forward to seeing them. I loved <laughs> one of the funniest things, and I know I have a few friends that are going to think this is funny too. I love that someone who plays in a band that plays reggae music cited Adam Sandler's piece of shit car as an inspiration <laughs> or like one of the early <laughs> reggae songs they heard. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that, that came out of left field right there. I thought that was great too. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm around the same age as Howie. So I really related to his journey to punk rock and then which led to ska and reggae. Very similar to mine, you know, Green Day to Goldfinger to Sublime. It's just, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening who also had that same, you know, we all had to be exposed to this music one way or another. We all didn't have some cool older sibling who was really into music to show it to us. So for a lot of us, yeah, it was the radio. It was MTV that opened the door to a whole new world of music. Sure. And, you know, I think how he's very respectful of of the reggae culture, you know, when when he gets called reggae rock or this and that, he, he always says, I think, what do you, what do you call it? We're, we're, we're Maryland beach vibes or something, you beach know? Beach rock, and yeah. Beach rock. Yeah, Maryland beach rock. And I, and I think why it's kind of like when people call my band a ska band you know the, the forefathers of ska I, I never want to disrespect them you know desmond decker the guys that came before you know the, the the originals you know and say i'm a ska band and put my brand on that and i think kind of that's what he's saying here he's you know and i've always have thought of them more as a rock band with reggae influences sure and i get that and when i say if I call Less Than Jake a ska band or if I call Ballyhoo a reggae band, it's more just because of the musical, like the upstrokes and the the musical style. And I realize like, yeah, you don't want to, I don't know, take credit. Is that the right way to put it for something like that? But definitely it's an influence on the band. So even if, you know, I think of Less Than Jake as more of a punk rock band. Yeah, Ballyhoo, if they're a beach rock band, I get that. But, you know, it's inevitable that people are going to call you guys a ska band and them a reggae band. Like that's just oh, people yeah. like to and put things big blanket terms, you know? Yeah, you have you have to be able to describe someone's music to somebody. So that's how that typically happens. But but yeah, I've always thought of them as a rock band uh, with with those with those reggae vibes, and they're just as I said, the the band is better now I think than they've ever been. Yeah, and you know how I said that Ballyhoo kind of slipped under my radar for a long time. Well, he kind of talked about that. That sometimes the appeal to a band like that that has a cult following is that they're not on the radio. You know, and then all of a sudden thousands of people are are at the shows or whatever. And hey, I totally know all about that. Believe me, I grew up as a teenager in the 90s liking punk rock music. I get what the appeal of something not being mainstream is. And hey, I still get why that is still appealing today. You know, maybe I'm a little less, I don't know, snobby about it, but I still understand why you feel 
more ownership of it or more like it's yours and not just everybody's or something. There's something cool about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've seen tons of bands make, make a career out of just that. You know, they, no effects is a great example. They, they, they could assign to majors a, a number of times in their career and they always kept it on their own terms. And, and uh, the fans still come out in droves. They, they're the, most of their fans are probably tell you they're glad they weren't on the radio. Yeah. I'm sure no effects doesn't even want to be on the. I'm sure they absolutely do not want to be on the radio. They don't need to be. Yeah. They don't need to be uh when it comes to this song there are a few cool things i want to talk to you about when he said about this song first of all there's been a couple other people that said stuff like this chris but he said when the idea came into his head he didn't even need to try to remember it it just stayed there in his head is that the sign of a great song you don't even need that voice memo you might do the voice memo anyway i've always said that i've always said it you know especially back in the day when I didn't have a voice recorder in my pocket, I didn't have access to a studio. It's like, if I wrote something that was memorable, I knew it, you know, now I'll always put it on the voice memo, but I'll still know that it was memorable and great. If I go to open up the voice memo and I say to myself, I don't need to listen to that. And I just pick the guitar and just start playing it. So, you know, when something is ingrained like that, you know, it's good. If that's doing it to you now, imagine what it's going to do to people later once they hear it. I mean, it totally makes sense. Uh, another thing that I totally related to, I'm sure a lot of people will relate to, is that feeling when you're young, when you're a younger person, everything matters. And you don't realize that you're going to meet so many people throughout your life. You don't realize how many things don't matter because they feel like the end of the world. I know with doing that Punchline podcast, recollecting all these old memories, I talked to all my bandmates like, <laughs> I think I've said this to you before, but we're doing these tours. We're we're a full-time touring band and we have girlfriends back home, none of which any of us ever talk to now or anything. But to us then, it's like we should have just been out there living life, meeting people, but we're all concerned about, oh, my girlfriend back home having these fights and everybody's jealous and all this kind of stuff. But when you get older, you have such a more mature way of looking at things. And even in this song, Chris, how he had such a mature outlook in these lyrics instead of writing a song where he's blaming the other person. You did this. You did that. It's your fault. It's more like, hey, we're both part of this equation. This relationship is toxic from both sides. Not one person is responsible. Yeah, he was he was shouldering half the blame, which, right. uh, which, which is kind of cool from a songwriting standpoint. Yeah, I thought this was a great one, man. I'll tell you what else is great, Chris, which we hammer the every party we, with, which we hammer every week and we will continue to yes. do so. So, hey, let me say something about it. I want to say something about it real quick. I want I want to really get down to, to brass tacks about this. The After Party Podcast. Chris, do you know that we've been doing the After Party Podcast for like over 2 years now every week? Like that podcast is its own thing and you know, we go over a lot of music history, a lot of our opinions on music, a lot of other fun stuff. And, you know, it's a couple bucks a month. And if you love this podcast, if you love what we're doing, that is one of the most direct ways you can support it and allow us to continue doing this. That's right. So, uh, you know, ChrisDemakes.com if you're interested. That's right. ChrisDemakes.com. You'll be supporting the podcast that we hope you know and love. Give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy. I'm still doing those custom songs. Hit me up, ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. I'll give you all the info. If you'd like a custom song written for you with that special someone or for your business, hit me up, ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. And you know what? I'm going to hammer this too, Chris. Give Chris Fafalius, my trusted <laughs> podcast partner and producer, a follow on Instagram too, at Chris Fafalius. Hey, 
I've been getting a few more since you've been saying that. I've been getting a few more followers. <laughs> I have. I've been look. I've been paying attention. If you broke ten thousand followers, that's when you get to do extra stuff. I don't know what. Oh on no! But... I have like seventy four hundred. Well, we need to bump that up. <laughs> Which is awesome. Chris Fafalius. Come on, get me that ten k. What's yeah. the special stuff I can do when I hit ten k? I didn't really know eh, about it. You can like tag other people. I don't know. I can't remember what, what the perks are. Okay. There, there, there's some special perk. But yeah, give Chris a follow. Oh. And I uh, want to thank this week's guest, Howie Spangler, for sitting in the hot seat with us. We'll see you next week. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.